Good morning. It's lovely to be here. I love coming to Sanctuary. It means I avoid the breakfast routine in my house, for starters, but it's lovely. It really is. Um, this is such a rich passage, and when I first got it, I was like, oh my goodness, where shall I start? So I'm just going to focus on one and a half verses, um, which are verses 26 and 27. I think Mark's going to put them up now. Um, and I'm just going to read it in a New Living Translation. It just says, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And um, we can't unpack this first without knowing what's come before, um, as Jenny just said. So prior to this, Jesus has fed 5,000 men. Okay, 5,000 men. Uh, Megan McKenna writes, in Not Counting Women and Children, there was probably about 30,000 people there, which Jesus has miraculously um, fed. And it's really significant miracle. It's really important. It's free food they've had. And there's a link with manna, first of all. So just give a backstory a little bit. Um, when the Israelites um, were going through the Exodus, they got manna, they got free food, and there's that connection made where Jesus is giving out free food. But also, Roman emperors and politicians gave out free food. Not as a miracle, but they gave out free food, hoping to get votes. Some things don't change. So they'd give that out. Um, so we're not surprised in verse 14, when, it, when the people say, surely this is the person we've been waiting for. We've had a free meal ticket. We've seen a miracle. This person's going to become king, and he's going to get rid of the oppressors. He's going to get rid of the hated Romans at the time. And having fed the people and heard this, Jesus quietly slips away. He quietly goes away to the other side um, of Galilee, walking on the water. And his disciples follow more conventional means. They take a boat. And they go to the side. And then the people next day wake up and they're hungry again. They're physically hungry. And they're wondering, where's Jesus? Where are the disciples? And they follow him. But they follow him for the wrong motives. A free meal ticket? Maybe they're thinking no need to work anymore. Maybe they're chasing miracles. And um, before we give them a hard time, I completely understand that. Because I'd be the same. I'd have seen this miraculous event and thought, I'm going to follow that and get some more free food and just follow this person. And then Jesus says this quite harsh sounding statement. I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. So the crowd are hungry again, and they think the point of the miracle was that they would get fed. That was a a primary one. And Jesus is saying, you're not getting this. So it raises a question, what is the point of miracles, before we actually come to this verses? And um, there's four different words used for miracle in in the Bible. I'm going to attempt the Greek, okay? Be be kind to me. The first is teres, which means wonder, signs of wonder. The other is dunamis which is about power, God's power. Then there's work, ergon, which is about doing good things. So it's like benevolent acts uh, to people. But here is the word sign is used, which is semeon. This is about a sign of who Jesus is. Now this, this section of John is often called the book of signs. There are seven miracles in this section, which Jesus does. He changes the water into wine, he heals the royal official's son, he heals the paralytic, feeds the 5,000, 30,000, walks on water, heals a blind man from birth, and a raising of Lazarus. 
And these miracles resulted in a better wedding. They result in someone being able to walk, someone able to see, someone able, someone able to uh, live again. But that wasn't the main purpose. The main purpose was that we would believe Jesus was exactly who he said he was and is. And we know that because John says this later on. In chapter 20, 31, he says, But these miracles are written so that you may believe. So the feeding of the 5,000 is really important. Um, with the exception of resurrection, it's the only one in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But if we read it simply as people being fed, we miss the point. The miracle is that it's a sign that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's a Redeemer, he's a Messiah, etc. And if people have seen the wonder, they've seen this bread being multiplied and fish, etc. They see the wonder, but they haven't got the sign. They didn't get the sign part that Jesus is God. So why have they followed Jesus? Why have they crossed the lake? Because he's given them free food. Not for who he is. That's the introduction bit. So the question is, and it's a challenging question for all of us, is why do you and I follow Jesus? I want you to imagine that you get a toddler. Um, so your face has dropped as soon as I said that. A toddler comes round. Um, I'm presuming you're a family member, not so random. And um, they come round and um, you give them ice cream. You put ice cream in a bowl. As soon as you put ice cream in a bowl, they do that, don't they? They have to make it into liquid for some random reason. And it goes everywhere. It's all over the face. So you clear them up. You clear the floor up. You then think, I'll take them to the park. Less carnage there. So you take them to the park. They're then hopping on one leg because they need a toilet. 20p, 20p, got my 20p. You sort that out. They've got mud on them. They've run through a sprinkler, if it was a dry summer. And then you're peeling them off the slide and you finally get them home. And um, some of that's quite endearing, some of it. Some of it's very tiring, but you expect that. Um, imagine if you invited me around to your house and you gave me ice cream and I started doing that. You, you think I was a little bit unusual, I'm hoping. Yeah? And then you go, why are you hopping on one leg? I want you to lose, sort of thing. That, that would be unusual. That would be strange. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he goes, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put those things away. So I'm guessing we've put away mashing the ice cream away. I won't ask about the teddy bears, because I know lots of people still have them. But you know, we might, we've put those things aside... But do we sometimes still follow Jesus for immature reasons? See, the temptation to use Christianity to serve ourselves has always existed. Although Jesus taught us how to live and act in the love of God, we've always found different reasons to follow him. I think most of us, just like the people in this passage, first follow Jesus because we want something from him. Hope, peace, salvation, healing, community. And all of these might be ours when we follow Jesus. Um, I made a commitment to follow Jesus when I was nine, and um, it's a, it a really unfashionable reason, but you can't have a go at me, because I was nine at the time. Um, I followed it because I didn't want eternal separation from God. It was that simple. I heard what happened uh, um, in the judgment stuff, and I said, I want nothing to do with that. And that's why I follow Jesus. I don't follow him for that reason now, but that was, that, that was my initial reason. We shouldn't be surprised when we hear teenagers, perhaps, who are brought up in the faith, and we ask them why they're following Jesus, and they say, because mum and dad do. We shouldn't be surprised at that. It's not the best answer we want, but that's where they're at. We shouldn't be surprised when new Christians follow Jesus because they can get something out of Jesus. But maybe we should be surprised at people who have been following Jesus a long time who are still saying those sorts of things. 
Two psychologists, A. Aaron and D. Dutton, and they're really coy about their first names. I couldn't find their the first names anywhere. But Aaron and Dutton looked at marriage. And they looked at people um, when they first met who then went on to marry later on and been married a long time. And they asked what attracted them at first. No surprises. Physical attraction was number one. Similarity, I think we'd agree it's a pretty good one. And this one amused me. Um, being liked by the other person was a good start, they felt, which I, I, I would agree with. However, they, um, Aaron and Dutton say they are just not good reasons for a long marriage. They're fine at the beginning, but they're not good if you want a long-standing good marriage. Long-term, it was about loving the person for who they are, not what they could provide. It was about accepting differences, effectively weathering crises, and picking your battles. <laughs> I'll stop there. So, <laughs> they're the ones. Um, wouldn't it be unusual if we met two teenagers who started going out, and we said, why, why are you kind of going out? And they said, oh, well, we've learned to weather our crises. I find that really concerning. Like, what? <laughs> wouldn't it be strange if we went to someone's diamond anniversary party, and we said, you know, what, what's been success? And he said, oh, well, my spouse likes me. I thought, you know, that would be completely the wrong way around. But maybe we need to up-level sometimes the reason why we follow Jesus. If we're honest, we can do it for a range of reasons, and it can be really subtle, but sometimes it's about what God can provide for us. I googled this. These are some quotes about why people follow Jesus. Um, I follow Jesus because I'm hoping he can heal my broken marriage and give me a happy home life. I follow Jesus because I struggle with emotional problems and I'm hoping he can give me inner peace and joy. These are are all direct quotes. I follow Jesus because I have a gambling addiction and he's helping to keep this at bay. Now Jesus can do all those things, but that's not a good enough reason to follow him long term. We should be following Jesus because he's Lord of creation for who he is, not what he can do for us. And here's a problem with following Jesus for what he can give for us. What happens when we don't get it? We'll have a faith crisis. There are so many things that Jesus didn't promise that sometimes we think he did. He never promised that we wouldn't experience grief. John 16.33, I've taken all the quotes from John because of the passage. In this world you will have trouble. Jesus never said we'd have material wealth in that way or perfect health. He never even said we'd necessarily be popular or loved. John 15.18, if the world hates you... Remember, it hated me first. And there are some brilliant examples of people who completely got this. And I was going to share my favourite one, which is about Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And they've got a complete despot of a king called Nebuchadnezzar. And he's made, he's made a golden statue. And he says, everyone's got to bow down to the golden statue. And if you don't, you're going in the furnace. Game over. And they refuse to do it. And the king, unusually, gives them one more chance. And they have choices. I think they've got three choices at this point. I think the first one is to say, I didn't sign up when I was following God for this to happen. Forget it. This wasn't part of the deal. I thought God would be protecting me. I didn't sign up for that. I'll bow down. Or they can mix faith and presumption. They could presume God's just going to save them and blindly go in the furnace. It's fine. It'll all be fine. Or they could say, whatever happens, I'll follow God. Here's what they say in Daniel 3, 16, 16, 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. 
If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, majesty, that we will never serve your God to worship the gold statue you've set up. Pete Gregg, in his brilliant book, God on Mute, writes, In the first part of the speech, we see that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have faith for a miracle, and that's impressive. But then we see that they have faith of a deeper kind altogether. Faith to endure suffering should the miracle not happen. I wonder what you or I would have done in that situation. I wonder what the people who followed Jesus did the next day when they realised there weren't free meal tickets coming out again. We know. In verse 66 it says, At this point many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. They were following for the wrong reasons. Isn't it, isn't it incredible when we meet people who wholeheartedly follow Jesus, just unconditionally? Um, I, I, in my life, I find it absolutely inspiring seeing people like this. Um, I, I've checked with people before I mention this story. Um, there's um, three sisters who go to our church, and a lot of you will know them, Jem, Kat, and Karen. And um, their dad, Pete Moody, he died a year and a half ago, he, a lovely man. And he died kind of before his time, it felt like. And on the Sunday after he died, I was sat about three quarters of the way back on that side, my favourite part of church. I was sat there. And we just started sung worship, and the three sisters came in together, about four days after their dad had died. Um, and they sat somewhere there and worshipped God. And it blew me away. And I think everyone else in the service... It wasn't easy for them. I was chatting to Karen the other day, but she felt it was, she felt called to be here and to worship God, irrespective of the circumstances. There's a Matt Redmond song, Blessed Be Your Name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. There is pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. It's such an easy song to sing, but the application is trickier. And I don't know what your worst fear is, and I pray it doesn't happen, but even if your worst fear should come to pass, Jesus is saying, follow me for who I am. So let us be a people who follow Jesus because he's Lord of creation, not because of what we can get out of there. Let us be people who follow Jesus irrespective of our circumstances we find ourselves in. Let us be a people who know the difference between temporal and eternal things and act accordingly. Because Jesus invites us to make those decisions. He invites us to make him number one. And then he makes this wonderful eternal promise. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Amen.